0: Houston, we have a podcast. Welcome to the official podcast of the NASA Johnson Space Center, Episode 323, Crew 8. I'm Gary Jordan, and I'll be kicking off this episode for you. On this podcast, we bring in the experts, scientists, engineers, astronauts, cosmonauts, all to let you know what's going on in the world of human spaceflight and more. Now, we're bringing on new voices to the podcast, and I'm lucky to have two brand new for this episode. Please welcome Leah Cheshire and Chelsea Bayarte.
1: Thanks, Gary. I'm really excited to join the podcast. Hi, happy to make my debut on the podcast.
0: Awesome. So, Leah, welcome. No stranger to doing some commentary and, and missions and being a voice for several different ways of NASA, but first time on the podcast. So tell us a little bit about what you do.
2: Yeah, I'm very excited. I right now work with the Commercial Crew Program, as well as the International Space Station, a little bit of commercial low-Earth orbit, basically any of the humans in space work that we do. I get to have a hand in that as a public affairs officer. And then, like you mentioned, I've also had the opportunity to cover several events live, whether they are launches or spacewalks, splashdowns, anything in between. So I'm excited to bring that to the podcast and try this new
0: method. Now, as part of the you know, very precious time that we get with all of the astronauts. We get to, of course, have them on this podcast, but we do, we bring them here in the studio and we help to put together these video packages to help tell their story as part of the broadcast. We put it on our web and you got to be a part of that too. So you got to have a lot of time with each of these crew members. You got to interview three of them for this podcast. How was that experience?
2: That was really special because, like I mentioned, I've covered these before and I've never had the personal time that I've gotten to have with the crew members through the podcast, through the uh, videos that we recorded. So getting to sit down and know them a little bit better before we launch into their mission coming up, uh, I think it'll make the mission even more special, just just getting that one-on-one time.
0: Very good. Well, good to have you, Leah. And welcome, Chelsea. No stranger to working with astronauts based on your role, right?
1: That's right. So I'm a public affairs specialist here at NASA's Johnson Space Center, and I'm fortunate enough to get to work with the Astronaut Corps. So I get to know them a little bit, and I'm super excited to introduce you all to Jeanette.
0: Yeah, you got to spend some, just like Leah did with Three Astronauts, you get to spend some quality time with Jeanette Apps. wonderful person to know. How was your experience?
1: That's right. We had a really good conversation about her life
0: before NASA and a little bit about her upcoming mission, so I can't wait to show it to you guys. Well, thank you both for being in the studio and taking the time to spend so much time with the astronauts. The stories they tell and the things they share are awesome, so why don't we get right into it? Leah, take it away.
2: You got it. NASA's commercial crew program is keyed up for its next mission, sending three NASA astronauts and one Roscosmos cosmonaut on the eighth crew rotation mission to the International Space Station. Three of these four crew members are well-trained, first-time flyers, while one is no stranger to the microgravity environment and the International Space Station. We sat down with NASA astronaut and Crew 8 commander Matthew Dominic, pilot Michael Barrett, and mission specialist Jeanette Epps, plus Roscosmos cosmonaut and mission specialist Alexander Gribankin, learning about their training, expectations for first space flights and a return to space, and plans once they join their colleagues on the orbiting laboratory. From the spacefarers themselves, this is Crew 8.
3: Minus five and Mark, start. E there she goes. We have a podcast.
2: Matthew Dominic and Dr. Mike Barrett sat down together for their interview and it became immediately clear this is a dynamic duo. This will be the first spaceflight for Dominic, who became a NASA astronaut candidate in 2017 and is the commander for Crew 8. He is from Wheat Ridge, Colorado, and earned a bachelor's degree in electrical engineering from the University of San Diego, California, and a master's in systems engineering from the Naval Postgraduate School in Monterey, California. He is an active-duty U.S. Navy astronaut. He graduated from the U.S. Naval Test Pilot School in Patuxent River, Maryland, and then served as a test pilot specializing in testing landing on and catapult launches from U.S. Navy aircraft carriers. This will be Barrett's third trip to the space station, and he will serve as pilot for Crew 8. In 2009, Barrett served as a flight engineer for Expeditions 19 and 20 and performed two spacewalks. He flew aboard the space shuttle Discovery in 2011 on STS-133, which delivered the permanent multipurpose module and fourth express logistics carrier. He has spent a total of 212 days in space. Born in Vancouver, Washington, he considers Comus, Washington to be his hometown. Barrett earned a bachelor's in zoology from the University of Washington, Seattle, and a doctor of medicine from Northwestern University in Chicago, Illinois. He completed residencies in internal medicine at Northwestern and aerospace medicine, along with a master's degree at Wright State University in Dayton, Ohio. After nine years as a NASA flight surgeon and project physician, Barrett joined the Astronaut Corps in 2000. Here's our interview with the commander and pilot of Crew 8. All right. Well, I've got here with me Matt Dominic. And Mike Barrett, two of the Crew Eight members, uh, heading to the International Space Station, and I just want to know a little bit more about each of you, each of your roles. Um, so we will start with Matt. You're the you're the commander. What's that mean? Um, you know, what are you going to be doing on this mission? Wow,
4: well, straight into the deep questions first. Yep. Uh What are we doing on this mission? Uh, four of us uh, on Crew Eight. We're going to launch safely to the space station, uh, and once we get there, and after we dock, we're going to we're going to do maintenance, right? We're going to fix things inside the space station. We're going to fix things outside the space station. And then uh, in our time in between that, we'll conduct science at, uh, from scientists and uh, f- doctors from around the world. From whatever they send up to us, we'll go execute that. We'll do that for about six months. And then we'll come home safely on the Dragon to a
3: splashdown.
2: All right. Mike, what about you?
3: Well, I'm going to do what he said. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, the focus of our flight is, is really the work we're going to do on the International Space Station. And the Dragon spacecraft, Crew-8, uh, that is our commute to work and our commute back from work. Uh, but it is the most exciting, most dangerous commute you can possibly do. The energies involved in getting off the planet and getting to low Earth orbit uh, to do that work are, are pretty formidable. And so um, you can never take a, a ride to space lightly. It's interesting uh, and and very exciting actually to fly a next generation spacecraft. I've flown the Soyuz and the Space Shuttle, and this is totally new, totally different. And I'm really looking forward to riding it. And uh, mainly, mainly my job on the Dragon will be to back up Matt as the commander.
2: So when you got assigned to Crew Eight, can you tell me what that was like? You know, when when you find out that you're going to space, you're flying Dragon, uh, you're going to spend six months up approximately on the international space station. And then you find out who's going with you. What were your first impressions of each other? Had you worked together before? What was that like?
4: Uh, we had not really worked together yet before. Not really. Um, we had shared an office at one point, um, but <laughs> the, the value of this office is, is so many things, but I think on the highest list is the, the intellectual diversity, right? And when you're faced with tough problems, having, a wide breadth of experience from widely different backgrounds. And, and, the you know, that way you guys can, you can approach problems in new ways because you'll have different perspectives. And so working with Mike has been amazing because he has encyclopedic knowledge of human space physiology, right? And lots <laughs> of experience. And I have... Uh, self-admitted like academic curiosity about a lot of things outside of my background. So it's awesome being able to ask Mike super crazy questions about things that are way outside of my experience level and getting answers, you know, like to use the internet term ELI 5, which means explain it like I'm 5. Mike is really good <laughs> at explaining it like I'm 5 for something I have no experience in and then have some understanding. So obviously, you know, you also asked the question about reaction, right? I remember... I remember just getting having the phone call and just sitting on the edge of the bathtub in my bathroom for like 20 minutes and just staring and go, oh boy, wow, this is really happening. Okay, here we go. <laughs> uh,
3: well, uh, let me back up a little bit. Uh, for Matt to say that he has intellectual curiosity beyond his normal work uh, requirements is a vast understatement. He is ag- aggressive and uh, absolutely fueled, hyper-fueled by curiosity. Uh, which is one of the things that really brings us together, frankly, as as an office. Uh, it is a a group of very curious people uh, who love to learn and who are always learning and kind of thrive on that. Uh, Matt is like that in Hyperdrive, which is really quite wonderful. And he sees things that, that others don't and asks questions that others don't think about. And that's really been quite wonderful. I think, uh, as Matt said, we really didn't know each other that well. I think I've flown in your T-38 backseat a few times. Um, and uh, I remember sharing an office, but I think I was in the back of the office behind a bookcase uh, trying to try to get work done. And uh, Matt was up there having amazing conversations with all sorts of thought leaders out there uh, on the Internet and various other places. Um, but when you get assigned to a crew together, that is a forcing function. It it brings these diverse personalities and thoughts together in a way that absolutely nothing else does. And so when you come together as a crew, first of all, you, you you unite around a common mission, but you also spend time in conditions that suck together. So we have been hypoxic, that's low oxygen together. We've been overheated together. We've been high carbon dioxide environments together. Um, We've been totally fatigued because we spent a lot of time on on jets doing international flights together. Uh, And we fly together a lot in in, uh, the T-38 aircraft, which is an amazing platform for building those communication skills. Uh, And uh, since Matt and I have been training together for several months, we added Jeanette Epps and and Sasha Grabjonkin who are about as different from us as you could possibly imagine. And um, again, that forcing function has brought us together to find each other's strengths and capitalize on those. So. Nothing quite like being assigned to a spacecraft by NASA to to come together as a family.
2: Yeah, I was going to ask a little bit more about that. So you have talked about you know your impressions of each other and how you work well together and the things that you bring to the table. I'd love to hear more about Jeanette and Alexander.
3: I think um, it, it's they're very interesting and very different personalities. Jeanette is probably the epitome of grittiness and determination. She's a very strong woman and uh, she sees things differently than I do and differently than than Matt does. Uh, she is what I would call human glue. She really seeks out the the humanity in every person that uh, she comes in contact with and when she's after the first meeting she has a good relationship with them and I think she'll be a big part of our crew togetherness in that and um, she's definitely shows a lot of endurance in, in what she does whether that's handling all the travel we talked about, or helping people get their spacesuits on in case the dragon catches fire. We've seen all of that. Sasha... um uh, is about uh, Matt's age, I think, and probably has a similar rabid curiosity. It's been interesting to watch these two come together. There's a bit of a language barrier between them. And uh, watching that being overcome as they share their common interests is, is quite amazing. Sasha is crazy strong. Uh, he's, I, I would almost say, a world-class athlete, bodybuilder, um. There is uh, physically probably nothing he can't do, and and we definitely make use of that uh, periodically. But uh, he's also very warm and friendly, a man of infinitely great humor. And uh, we've seen that uh, in many places, whether we're traveling on the road or just uh, all of us gathering together. Um, Definitely someone you can count on and someone we're really looking forward to flying with.
2: So this is your first flight. This will be your third flight, Mike, Mm -hmm. uh, but your first Matt, so can you tell me a little bit about the anticipation you have for launch? What's it mean to be selected as commander on your first space flight? Just that excitement, what's that like?
4: Oh man, there's a lot going on there. I mean, how long do we have? An hour? Two hours? <laughs> the uh... <laughs> uh, first space flight. It, you know, I think you just when I mean, the first time you go do something, you aren't as efficient at, at preparing for it. So you don't know exactly what to prepare for so you have to prepare for everything uh, which is also exciting for me because I just get to go down rabbit hole after rabbit hole and sometimes it's it's just awesome I'll call Mike Mike Mike, Mike
5: do I need to know this? <laughs>
4: <laughs> is this something that's valuable? Uh, and he's like no you're good you're, you're at an appropriate level or no this is something that's really important and so having Mike here who has a diversity of experience and background in NASA n- not just as an astronaut but as a, a flight surgeon is super helpful as I prepare for my first space flight and um there's certainly uh, nervousness and I used to have an answer like what, what scares you the most about going to space flight. And I used to have this really long, long winded answer. And I was trying to explain it to Mike one time and he's like, no, 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 th- there's just one sentence, right? You're more- <laughs> no, 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 no. <laughs> it's just much easier to say you're more afraid of messing up than blowing up. So right. I was like, Oh yeah, that's it. It actually captures it. you know, a lot of people are like, hey, are you afraid to launch your first flight? These things, but really you have this um, immense sense of responsibility to give back right you've been there are thousands and thousands of people who have the skill set to do this job um you got the lottery ticket i got the lottery ticket to go do it i need to not screw it up for all of them right i feel immense responsibility not to i owe it to them right i have friends many friends that applied for this job that wanted to get here that have skills that are unbelievable they don't get to be here right just didn't work out and so i owe it to them to go do a good job right and that's 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 part of the commandership that's part of for space flight it's just an immense sense of responsibility to go do the job that you've been asked to do
2: and so while you're doing your job for the first time going to space this will be your third space flight and you know matt talked a little bit about how you have told him what's the most important things to learn and you know what doesn't need to be focused on as much how do you think that your expertise you know translates to either other crew members or just specific circumstances
3: well, uh, first of all, I would say I've actually seen, I think, 35 other people in space besides myself over my missions because of crew exchanges and visiting vehicles. And um, I, I think the the transition of a person from a terrestrial creature to a space creature is, is really amazing. And going through that yourself a couple times, it's it's very, very cool. Um, there's, there's a lot that kind of shocks your body, but then you realize you can handle it and And you become kind of a space creature, and it's great. Once you've done that a couple of times, the the really big pleasure is to watch others go through it for their first time, frankly. And everybody's experience is a little bit different, and I'm always careful about that. My experience is my experience, but I'm nothing if not a naturalist with a notebook. And as I've looked at everybody, I've tried to do that systematically and kind of figure out the distribution of people's responses as well. I've already made predictions on my three crewmates about how they're going to do and how they're going to handle this uh, transition from a physiologic standpoint. I'm not sharing that with them. <laughs> um, but the the mental uh, transition when you all of a sudden are in zero gravity and things are floating, your body's starting to change big time and soon you'll see your home planet from space. It's this awe-filled moment that accompanies this big physiologic change that's going on. Uh, I cannot wait to watch my crewmates go through that. One of the things I'm looking forward to most. I'm excited to be watched.
4: <laughs> I'm imagining when he says naturalist with a notebook. I'm imagining Mike in a, in a Jane Goodall form, <laughs> and I'm the I'm the chimpanzee being observed. And I'm, he's meticulously sitting off in the woods, or in this case, node two or node one hiding, making notes. And I'm proud to
3: be a part of that. Yeah, I worked hard to win his trust. You'll
2: know? <laughs> <laughs> be peering into the cupola as Matt floats around. I can't wait. <laughs> Just
4: hiding behind a CTP. <laughs>
2: So you talked about predictions that you've made for your crew members and how they will fly in space. I have some questions. These are kind of just rapid fire questions. I would love to know who you think is most likely to do a few things. Um, hmm. So I want answers from both of you. The first is who is most likely to exercise more than required?
3: Sasha. Sasha. Yeah. <laughs> Next. <laughs>
2: <laughs> who is most likely to drink the most coffee?
3: Me. Mike, for sure. <laughs>
2: wow, okay, we're two for two. I'm
3: from Seattle
4: area, so, you
2: know.
4: <laughs> oh, this is, this is blind, like three, two, one, shoot uh, with rock, okay. paper, scissors. Is that what we're <laughs> shooting here? <laughs> you're,
2: you're doing pretty good. Oh. Who is most likely to spend the most time in the cupola?
3: Boy, that's a toss-up in a way. I'm probably going to say Mike and he's going to say me. Or I don't yeah, know. Yeah, I, I think. I mean, the cupola is a, is a magnet. Um, yeah. The times you're not in the cupola is because you have to be doing something else. And so... um, we distribute the doing something else amongst all the people so that's a hard that's a hard, a hard one. one there's, yeah. a, there's a, probably a big draw there's many times when all all the crew would gather in the cupola because we're going over something amazing whether it was the pyramids or a, a, the eye of a hurricane or something like that and so um, that's probably the most difficult question you got on there
4: Mike Mike likes to say that he's you know going to be observing us but he also knows that I'm observing him frequently
3: <laughs> <laughs>
4: and uh, or maybe he doesn't now he does yeah, yeah. but uh you know, I, I look at a picture of the cupola, right, and I go, "Oh, that's cool, right? And that looks cool. I'd like to go look at that." But um, Mike has a very different physiological response when he sees that on a wall. Like his eyes light up much more than so, like somebody who's been there that remembers it. Like there's definitely an emotion attached to it. When I see Mike see a picture of the cupola, like it's it's noticeable. Yeah, what but that'll be you pretty soon, right? Yeah. Sorry. <laughs> but
2: what are you most excited to see from the cupola? Uh,
4: I don't know, I just want to take it all in. You know, I don't, I don't know what's out there and that's what excites me, right? You know, a, a specific thing, I don't think it is. I just want it's more of the experience, right? It's um, some folks were going to a rocket launch recently, specifically my parents uh, and, uh, and my brother was gonna go just to kind of, they wanted to watch a launch um, before before they went and saw our launch. And uh, I told them, I said, hey, you're gonna go there and you'll be in the stands and lots of people are gonna have their phones out taking pictures and video. That's great. But there are lots of cameras out there that are going to capture it way better than your cameras are going to capture it. Just live in the moment. Feel like the crackle and feel the sound coming off your body. Just be in the moment, right? And I said, I think maybe there's like one picture or photo you can take, and that's like maybe a quick selfie with the rocket in the background, but really just focus on being there. And uh, like for me, I remember watching, you know, my first rocket launch was watching um, – crew two uh launch and then you know and then uh, i saw the artemis launch right and those are like ingrained in my mind. i can close my eyes and still see that launch and feel that launch because it was focusing on do it so i think the same thing will be true for me in the cupola is like hey i'm going to probably take a lot of pictures right i'll be up there a while but really just taking in that moment so it's it's felt
2: wow that's a great explanation i have some more Quick questions. Got to bring them we'll
4: see. <laughs> Translation, your answers are too long.
6: No, I loved it. I loved
7: it. Well,
4: that it. was a speed bump question. Huh? For that sure. was
2: that was really actually great um, advice, too, for anybody that ever goes to see a rocket launch. That, you know, there are so many amazing photographers out there. And, yeah. you know, I think they'd be happy for you to save their photo as your wallpaper. Right. So you just take it in. Yeah.
4: Just take it in. we got pros out there. I right. am not.
2: I am not either. Um, so who's most likely to decorate their crew quarters?
4: Probably Jeanette. Yeah, I would, I would agree. I would agree.
2: Okay. How about most likely to record the most videos?
4: Matt, (laughs) (laughs) I don't have a plan. You
3: have a plan, but I'll, I'll accept that.
2: Okay. How about, wait, what's your plan?
3: Well, my, my hope is to make some uh, space medical educational videos. Okay. Um, There's a lot of didactics and I've been involved in teaching for many, many years and it's, just um, much more effective, visceral. If you can show something in zero gravity, here's here's what my waist was before I flew. Here's what it is now. This is my standing height before I flew. Here's what it is now. Your body changes, and so yeah,
2: that's, that's interesting. Yeah, yeah, I can't wait to watch those. That'll be that'll be really useful. Um, how about who's going to be the most active on social media?
3: I don't know. Not me. Not
4: me. <laughs> Not me. No.
2: <laughs> You're a big Reddit fan, though, right?
4: I, I do enjoy reading Reddit there's reading, a, reading reddit and, you know there are some odd parts of reddit Oh yeah. but there are um if you find the right subreddits that are filtered some really cool people hang out in there and you can learn a lot and that was more true i'd say three four five six years ago some of that has moved to other platforms now where you can go log into the right server and just hang out with Really sharp. I remember maybe ten years ago when I was studying machine learning, you could go in there and you, the, the world's experts in machine learning at the time, like the, from the top universities, we hang out having a chat, and you could join in and just learn so much. Um, sorry, that's way off what you're going for. And so that's that's more of the, you know, that's less social and more just intellectual exchanges that occur on the internet and where to find those little niches. They're hard to find. Some people are good at finding them. I actually have friends who point them to me because I can't find them. Wow. Yeah.
2: it's very interesting. Um, I think I already know the answer to this one, but who's most likely to make a gourmet meal using food on the space station?
4: Yeah, probably me. Mike. You can't see, but Matt was pointing. Oh, yeah. (laughs) This is a podcast. My right hand is pointing at Mike. (laughs) We'll we'll make our attempts
3: with the material that we have. Was that who you thought the answer was? Yes. Okay.
2: Yes. Mike was telling me all about how um, he makes good food in austere places
3: we might have digressed a little bit into the food world. Mike, Mike and I both like cooking. Yeah. He told me,
2: he told me you're, you're getting pretty good at it too. What's your favorite thing to make?
4: I'm more on the technical side. So Mike, Mike is very, uh, Mike, Mike, you know, Touches touches it and feels it and looks at it and smells it and he uses his senses like he's very analog <laughs> uh, <laughs> and it's, it's just very primitive yeah, yeah it's but it but it works right it works for Mike and he crushes it at cooking I am very much on the scientific side I'm like I you know I built my own sensors and I built my own like devices to cook food for you know like ten years ago or so to because I wanted the data, I wanted to track it, I have predictions, I can tell, like if I'm doing like a 12 hour cook on something like that, I can modify the temperature so that it reaches the correct temperature at the correct cook time to serve at the appropriate time. It's a little excessive. Uh, But I'm on the sensors and digital side and Mike's on the analog side and when the two worlds meet, we can can crush it.
2: Wow, okay, (laughs) I'm seeing potential for some food videos as well. Um, I'll be standing by looking for those. We will
4: use the equipment as it was designed to be
3: used. (laughs) (laughs)
2: <laughs> <laughs>
4: we are That's not going to break any, okay. That's, we're
3: sticking to it. Right?
2: So let's talk a little well, bit about family. I know you both have families, both have kids. How do you prepare families for launch day and, you know, for being away?
3: Well, I'll do a short answer. Um, for Matt, it's his first time, so there's there's probably a little more apprehension. But I've already done this a couple times. And um, with a large family of five children, three grandchildren, um the the kids have been through this before we we understand the agreements and everybody kind of knows why we're doing this that we think the benefits are worth whatever risk there is in there uh, my wife has the patience of a saint and um i know that she's going to do totally fine during this and so we're we're very pragmatic this time around it's like huh going to space again uh make sure you can talk to your grandkids kindergarten class okay box checked and off we go wow so <laughs> now everyone's looking forward to it make no mistake but having been through it a, a couple of times already, we're, we're very practical.
2: Wow, that's amazing. Matt, what about you?
3: Uh, for me, I think
4: my wife is very strong and independent, uh, and she's used to it. Uh, I used to go on deployment six months, five months at a time with the Navy and would disappear. And then that was also true when our kids were very young. So, you know, one, two, three, four kind of age range. And they were just kind of too young to really like comprehend like Dad's gone for a week versus Dad's gone for three months, and so we were doing that when we were deployed overseas. Uh, But now they're older, you know, ten and seven, and so now like when we do trips, it's a little bit harder on them. So that you know, thinking of ways to keep in touch with them from the space station, we have—I mean, we are the satellite, so digital communication is a little bit easier than most people think, and we're really not that far away. We're just going really fast. Um, So keeping in touch with them will be interesting, right, especially when face-to-face communication is a little bit easier at that age, right, as opposed to, like, digital communication or phone calls. Um, but, you know, we prepare for it. We talk about it. We're kind of training for it right now as we travel, right. I'll, we'll disappear for a month on training, either, you know, either Russia or Europe or Japan, kind of back-to-back. So th- they get some kind of warm-ups for that when we get to practice.
2: Yeah, that's exciting. I mean, I, I can only imagine what it's like having your dad go to space and send you pictures of home.
4: Yeah, I think it'll be fascinating for them. I mean, the schools, their school has already contacted me through my daughter, like, hey, we need you to do the STEM event on this date. Could you call us live from the space station?
2: <laughs> <laughs> the answer no. is yes. No.
4: Um, I mean, yes. <laughs>
2: uh, okay, I think that we are actually about to wrap it up. So is there anything else you guys want to share before you go on your mission?
3: Well, we got six months before we go on our mission. So well, this comes out a be, week before you launch. You can yeah. comment no further <laughs> between now and launch. Yeah, nothing's going to happen between now and then. Well, I, you know, I just from my standpoint, uh, it'll be 13 years uh, since my last space flight, and I just cannot wait to get back there. And um, so I'm, I'm very lucky and feel very honored to be able to give it, be given that chance. Matt, super excited to go to space with this crew. This is going to be a good
4: time.
2: Well, Godspeed to both of you. Thank you so much for coming here. We're really excited. Go Crew 8.
3: Thank you much. Thank you.
2: Next up is Jeanette
1: Epps. This will be Epps's first trip to the space station. She's a mission specialist for Crew 8, and she's from Syracuse, New York, and earned a bachelor's in physics from LeMoyne College in Syracuse, and a master's in science, and a doctorate in aerospace engineering from the University of Maryland, College Park. Prior to joining NASA, she worked at Ford Motor Company and the Central Intelligence Agency. Yes, the CIA. She was selected as an astronaut in July 2009 and has served on the generic joint operations panel working on space station crew efficiency as a crew support astronaut for two expeditions and as lead capsule communicator in the Mission Control Center at NASA's Johnson Space Center in Houston. Epps previously was assigned to NASA's Boeing Starliner 1 mission. NASA reassigned Epps to allow Boeing time to complete development of Starliner while also continuing plans for astronauts to gain spaceflight experience for future mission needs. Here is our chat with Jeanette. NASA astronaut Jeanette Epps, thank you so much for being on the podcast with
6: us here today. Well, thanks for having me, Chelsea.
1: So Jeanette, we really want to get to know you and your crew in this podcast episode today. So can I ask you some questions about them?
6: Of course.
1: So these are going to be a kind of a game of who is the most likely to.
6: I gotcha. Okay. Okay.
1: And if you've got any that you want to throw out as well, let us know. You ready? I'm ready. Okay. So who do you think is the most likely to oversleep on a duty day aboard the space station?
6: (laughs) Maybe Sasha.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Who is more likely to exercise more than required?
6: Definitely Sasha. (laughs) Sasha. (laughs)
1: <laughs> the Hulk, I hear.
6: The Hulk, yes.
1: <laughs> who's the most likely to drink the most coffee?
6: Mike Barrett.
1: <laughs> and who's the most likely to spend the most time in the cupola?
6: Oh, that's going to be a tough one, because I think all four of us will spend a lot of time in the cupola.
1: We can't wait to see pictures. <laughs> so who is the most likely to decorate their crew quarters the best?
6: I was going to say me, but we've got some pretty creative um, astronauts. So uh, the jury's still out on that one. We'll see. (laughs) I'm going to try to win that one, though.
1: (laughs) Perfect. So who is the most likely to record the most videos?
6: Matt, likely.
1: And who is going to be the most active on social media?
6: Ooh, I don't think any of us are going to be that active. But if I had to guess, it will likely be Sasha and then me. Matt and Mike are not social media people at all, so.
1: Do you have a handle you wanna plug that we can all follow?
6: Um, I'm, uh, my uh, handle is at astronaut underscore Jeanette.
1: All right, you heard it here, at astro underscore Jeanette. Yep. Uh, all right, and then my last one, who is the most likely to make a gourmet meal?
6: That would definitely be Mike Barrett.
1: Mike Barrett. <laughs> Mike Barrett,
6: for sure. <laughs>
1: I've heard good things a lot about these meals. <laughs>
6: oh, yeah. He's a great, great chef. All
1: right. So we we got to know a little bit about your crew. Um, how are you all feeling about launch?
6: We're all excited and, um, you know, a bit nervous. So we're working hard on our training and making sure that we learn as much as we possibly can before we launch. So I think we're all very excited. Looking forward to it.
1: What do you think it's going to be like?
6: I think um, this crew, we're, every crew I think is different. I've trained with um, several other crews, and Mike and Matt and Sasha are super easygoing. Um, they're also very serious and diligent to do all the work. So it's a weird combination to be like so broad almost, you know, very um, much about having fun as well. So <laughs> it's going to be an interesting time. I'm looking forward to the new things that I find out about all of them.
1: So in addition to launch, like not only launch, but your whole space station mission, have you gotten advice from other crew members?
6: I have gotten a lot of good advice. I've gotten great advice on how to use the WHC, which is the waste hygiene compartment. (laughs) How not to be the bad crewmate. (laughs) (laughs) What foods um, you can Bring on board to barter <laughs> and get great food from our other international partners and our um, Alexander. So we'll trade food at dinner time and see uh, what uh, what good things they bring along. Are you allowed to share with us what food you've got on the books? Well, hopefully, I will have some uh, various um, delicacies from uh, bakeries. That's a hint. Um, maybe even from. Uh, you know, it's to certain types of summer sausage and cheeses that we can get, so we'll see what we end up getting.
1: Mm, cool. Yeah. Um, so, okay. So, your mission overall. Uh, what are your personal objectives for the crew eight mission?
6: Well, my personal ob- um, goals are to number one, take care of the space station. Um, it's an old flying laboratory that is amazing, and likely can go for another 20 years if we maintain it properly. So maintaining the International Space Station is a big thing for me. But also, you know, that's kind of like the work part of it. But the other part is to inspire the next generation. That's part of our job. And I take that very seriously. Um, There was a, a time when I didn't understand how deep this role went. As far as responsibility, until um, um, back in 2014, I met a young lady um, while doing a public appearance in New Orleans, and her desire was to become an aerospace engineer. It wasn't an astronaut; she just wanted to become an aerospace engineer. So I challenged her, and I said, "Well, why? Why not? Why aren't you doing that?" And she kind of said, "Well, I don't know." And you know, I said, "Well, you know, it's a lot of work, but it's worth it." If you put the time and effort in, you know, are you afraid of doing all the work and meeting the requirements? And she just, I don't know. Well, the young lady um, walked away from there, and I wasn't sure if I was too hard on her or, you know, if, I, if she felt like I was being mean. I, I wanted to really figure out what was stopping her, and that's why I questioned her that way. But then, back in February 2019, I went to Iowa and I was doing another public appearance, this is five, almost five years later, and a young lady came up to me and she said, you don't remember me, but I met you in 2014, and you told me that I can become an aerospace engineer, and so I did, and I'm here in Iowa working for Collins Aerospace. And it was, I, you know, I almost broke down in tears because I was like, oh my gosh, she actually listened to me, <laughs> and she actually um, did something that I asked. So, um, for me, inspiring the next generation and being responsible to that is very important, um, especially after that um, one experience. Oh wow! That was one of many, though, which is so, um, so amazing that we um, we get the uh, credibility to um, speak to kids and they believe exactly what we say. That's a huge amount of responsibility. So, so
1: mentorship is a big, important part of your life.
6: It definitely is, especially when, you know, as an astronaut, we're not leading people, but we are leaders because we're role models. And being a role model in mentoring students indirectly and directly is very important. So
1: what about in in your early life? Who are some of your mentors?
6: Well, Janet and I... um, we um I always talk about my twin sister because we were we um we were roommates and then we were roommates for a long time after that. We went to undergrad together and graduate school together, so I didn't go through this alone so i, I talk about my twin sister a lot and so um, um growing up together um, we um both loved science we both um enjoyed watching any television show that had anything to do with science and so We um, watched, like, (laughs) Mr. Rogers. We loved Mr. Rogers. Um, We loved Electric Company. We loved Nova. We watched a lot of public television and you know i like doctor who but janet didn't like doctor who as much as i did and so our mentors early on were our teachers who encouraged this my parents my mom in particular who encouraged this um she was not an engineer in fact she was a mother of seven she married when she was 17 so she didn't finish high school back then that was kind of like okay but her big thing was education education and education, she didn't care as much about money as she did about an education. And so she really kind of impressed upon us that you have to go to school and learn and teach yourself to learn new things. And so my mom, it started out with her encouraging this, even though she didn't know what the heck we were doing as kids. And so even then, you know, I didn't know what I was really doing either, but she just encouraged us and kept us moving forward. And then as we got older and older, um, especially in high school, the teachers at Corcoran High School really um, were great mentors and inspired us. I remember um, one of the teachers, Mrs. Valerio, she was insistent that she would get us into the Honor Society, and she did. I mean, but she's one of many from high school who really encouraged Janet and me to go on. And then in undergrad, um, as a physics major, uh, one of the teachers, um, two of them actually, Professor Walter and Dr. Munsee were really influential, especially Dr. Munsee, she was the one who taught me grit. She was a a tiny woman, but she was mighty. (laughs) And then um, on to graduate school, um, gosh, many people who um, mentored Janet and me and um, inspired us. I mean, we also have these big um, people who we um, idolized and thought were amazing. You know, Mae Jemison was definitely one of them for me. Just doing something that, you know, no matter what people say, they say you can't do this, you can't do that. Um, We go ahead and we go. She was one of those people who just went ahead and did it anyway. (laughs) So I I like that um, grit that she has and just going for it anyway.
1: So did I hear womb-mate and roommate?
6: (laughs) Yes, you did. (laughs) She's gonna kill me if she ever hears that because it's so corny.
1: (laughs) That's hilarious. So So it seems like you guys were pretty close growing up so like as you went on to college, got your bachelor's, got your PhD, were you guys just there for each other every step of the way?
6: We were there for each other. Um, Janet and I, um, yeah, We were each other's cheerleader. If one person had a bad day, the other person would say, well, we got to keep going and you got to get it done. Um, I remember several times um, on campus, I would have to go in on the weekend to check on an experiment or to try to collect more data. Janet would go in with me and help me set up the experiment. And so, you know, there was um, a lot of support
1: That's awesome. So in this kind of early career that you had, what were some of your your interests? What were some of your research interests? And and how do you think it it got you to where you are today?
6: Well, one of the big things um, for Janet and me, we were trying to figure out what it was that we really wanted to do. So even in high school, we would have these summer internships. And um, one summer, I had an internship at Wise Cotton Hall at um, Cross Irving Memorial Hospital in Syracuse. And I wasn't sure if I wanted to go into medicine. You know, aerospace was like, I want to do aerospace, but, you know, should I check out, you know, what the medical field has? And so I was able to do a summer internship at Wise Cotton Hall where um, I was in the pathology department. So I learned a lot about histology, cytology. And one of the doctors there, he allowed me to sit in on two autopsies. And after those two autopsies was when I actually fully decided that I was going to go to school for aerospace engineering. <laughs> so that was um, one of my interests early on. But, uh, you know, at the time I was going to Lemoyne College, which is a small Jesuit school in upstate New York. And uh, uh, it didn't have an engineering school, so I had to join the physics department. And what they had was they had a 3-2 program well, where I would spend three years at Le Moyne and then two years at an engineering school. Well, I decided to finish up in four years for the physics and then go on to graduate school for aerospace engineering. Because I think working in physics, I kind of really decided solidly that I was going to go to school for aerospace engineering one way or another <laughs> And that's, um, you know, that's how I ended up in um, at LeMoyne and then on to University of Maryland.
1: So when you went on to become an astronaut, what inspired you to apply?
6: Well, um, after I graduated from the University of Maryland, I went on to work at Ford Motor Company and the Central Intelligence Agency. And... Um, You know, while in graduate school, there were many people applying to the astronaut corps, but um, a lot of great people applying, but they weren't getting in. So I said, okay, well, they'll definitely not pick me. But, you know, I've got so many other things that I want to try. And so I went on to work for Ford Motor Company and then for the Central Intelligence Agency. And while working there, the research was amazing. So I was very technical at the time. And then working at the Central Intelligence Agency, I I learned what it meant to be operational. You know, I always tell students what that means. It's kind of like almost um, generic in that you could be a researcher who can design something, but you may not be able to, for example, if it's an airplane, you may not be able to fly it, actually. So... Becoming operational meant that, okay, like the fighter pilot, they can fly the plane, but they may not be able to design it. But nowadays, those two characteristics are coming together to make what I thought at the time was, you know, this is what it means to be an astronaut. You're very technical, but you're also operational. You can go to space and you can be the operator in space. And um, that kind of um, came along after having worked at the Central Intelligence Agency. Prior to that, I never thought I would be competitive to work as an astronaut in space. But Leland Melvin called me in 2008. He was one of the current astronauts at the time. And he said that they were looking for new astronauts And that. He said, you may want to just give it a try and just apply and see what happens. And lo and behold, I'm here. And you got
1: in. (laughs) Yes. What was it like for your family when you got the call?
6: Well, when I got the call, um it was um my family was elated. My mom was the surprise because she never liked the things dangerous things <laughs> that she thought I was doing. She wanted for me to always stay safe. So her big thing was, you know, going out doing these dangerous things was not good. But when she found out that I got selected, um, her words were, "I'm very happy for you. This is what you've always wanted." So, I was pretty happy about that. Is that
1: something that you've just carried with you to this day?
6: I have because, um, well, you know, p- part of my story also is that, you know, five days after I was selected, my mom passed away. But she knew before she passed away, which was, she was absolutely elated that I got in. So. Oh my
1: gosh, that yeah. has to be so important.
6: <laughs> <laughs> it was important at the time. I don't know if, um, if she had said something else, I don't know what I would have done. But yeah. yeah, she was elated. Oh, so, wow.
1: So going to today, you're you're training to go to the International Space Station. What has that been like? What does it mean to be training for a space mission?
6: Well, you start training as soon as you get to NASA. But um, while you're waiting for a mission, you're doing all these analog missions and things like that to get to an assignment. And once you're assigned, it is... Um, it's amazing because you, uh, well, I ended up doing things like going over to Russia and actually training in Russia, um, going to Hawthorne and learning about the Dragon, um, learning about the Boeing vehicle. So in all these cases, you really are getting deep into the knowledge of what it takes to get to the space station. You have to know the international space station systems on board, the environmental control life support system, the electrical power systems. Um, There's so many different systems aboard the ISS that you have to learn and know and understand how to take care of the space station. Um, All of the training is amazing. It's stuff that you cannot do outside of NASA. And for me, it's very unique and very um, you know, interesting to learn the components and the things that you need to make a space station work. And it, it's, every day there's something new and it's amazing and they're constantly improving the space station so it has gone beyond the um, lifespan that they thought it would have. I can see it going for another 20 years.
1: Have you had a, a, a favorite moment or a, or a highlight of your training so far?
6: Oh, gosh, there's so many um, Um, Well, one of my favorite moments was, you know, when I first started training in Star City, you know, I was not sure what that was going to be like, because everything's in another language. Everything's just different. And I remember sitting in um, a comms class, and I I remember looking up and like, how in the world did I get here? (laughs) And so it was just surreal and all the training that I've done. Training in Star City has been was one of the highlights of my career, but also now being assigned to this mission with this crew is definitely becoming a highlight of my entire career.
1: Yeah. Talk to me about this crew. Um, How have you guys been getting to know each other? How have you guys been training together?
6: Well, we've been um, training a lot together since um, the beginning of the year. We've gone to California together um, many times. We've gone to Russia, Germany, and Japan quite a bit together. And it's kind of um, a cool thing to kind of like go through this newness together because we're all nervous, and that kind of bonds us. We have a common mission, a common task, and I think um, with any crew, crew, um, that's that's how you bond. You go through struggles together, and you're successful together. And we've done a lot of emergency procedures. We've done um, emergency procedures for the um, space station as well as for the Dragon itself. And so all of these um, interesting things that we're trying out together for the first time as a crew really helps bonds it bonds us together um matt with the humor mike with the logic and you know sometimes i feel like i'm (laughs) i'm along for just i'm just interested in what they're going to say next (laughs) seeing what happens next so it's been a, a a very um cool time with so with all
1: of this travel, all of this training that you've been doing, have you guys, do you have any, like, funny stories? You guys spend so much time together.
6: <laughs> yeah, we, we have a ton of funny stories. Um, <laughs> um, but, you know, I think that some of those have to stay with the crew. <laughs> sure. <laughs> I did try to um, develop nicknames for everyone in the crew because, you know, at one point, Sasha, you know, he's, he's a pretty muscular guy, so we started calling him our Hulk. So if we all had a uh, Marvel comic character, um, who would we be? And so, um, like, (laughs) Matt we named um, Hawkeye because he does look a little bit like Jeremy Renner, right? (laughs) And then uh, Mike being the doctor, um, so he's got to be Dr. Strange, right? (laughs) And then who's Jeanette? So um, I guess I kind of took on the name myself as um like Scarlett Johansson's character. Oh, of course. The Black Widow. <laughs> she was a little spy. I'm not a spy, but she worked for one of those places kind of like I did. But so we, we've all kind of given ourselves Marvel comic book names.
1: <laughs> That's amazing. I wish you guys were going to be over there over Halloween. Uh, you might I be. I have to think back.
6: I would I would have loved to have done that. Hopefully we are. If we, we are, hmm. We'll see what we do.
1: (laughs) Well, we're really excited to follow along with your mission um, through all the holidays, through all of the milestones, through the science, the spacewalks, everything. Uh, Jeanette Epps, thank you
2: so much for joining us.
6: Well, thanks for having me. This is a lot of fun. (laughs)
2: Last but not least, we have Roscosmos cosmonaut Alexander Gribionkin, also a mission specialist for Crew 8, working with the commander and pilot to monitor the spacecraft during the dynamic launch and re-entry phases of flight. Grebyankin, who graduated from the Irkutsk High Military Aviation School, Irkutsk, Russia, majoring in engineering, maintenance, and repair of aircraft radio navigation systems, also is flying on his first mission. He graduated from Moscow Technical University of Communications and Informatics with a degree in radio communications, broadcasting, and television. Grebyankin sat down with us to chat about what he's looking forward to. Alexander, thank you so much for joining us today. We're really excited to have you on the
5: podcast.
7: Uh, Thank you for and the
5: for invitation. I'm also glad and to be here to course. meet you, and I'm excited to hear your questions. So let's start with how you grew up. Can you tell me about where you were
2: born, what it was like growing up, when you knew that you wanted to be a cosmonaut? Uh, I
7: was born Turkey, Turkey, and Turkey, raised
5: Turkey, in Russia, Russia, Russia in, in Kemerovskaya region. It's uh, in a small city called Muski uh, in uh, Siberia. Uh, Siberia. And prior to entering elementary school, maybe I was six years old, Uh, this is when I got the idea that I wanted to become a cosmonaut. Of course, uh, now, in hindsight, I realize this. But I I do distinctly remember, and my mom also uh, tells me, that I, my mom, I came to up to, to her, her and I said, Mama, I want to be a cosmo. And I was six at that point. So that's the story. Oh, that's so sweet. I love
2: that you knew that from the time you were young. So can you tell me a little bit about your career in school, what it was like uh, to go to school and what you studied?
7: After
5: graduating from high school, I uh, decided to work in aviation, and I entered the Irkutsk Military Aviation Engineering Institute. After I graduated, I served in the military, I reached the officer ranking. It was in the Stryzhi unit in the Moscow region, and my specialization was avionics equipment for aircraft. So...
2: You always knew that you wanted to be a cosmonaut.
5: What was it like when you were finally selected? When they uh, listed my last name during the commission where all of the candidates were announced for the selection into the cosmonaut corps, I was, of course, very happy. I wanted to share this news as soon as possible with uh, my friends, with my family, because everyone knew how long the selection process was and how challenging it was, and they knew that I've been dreaming about becoming a cosmonaut all my life, so they were rooting for me, and so the first emotion was joy, and I wanted to share it. Now, after you were
2: selected, you went into some training before you were assigned to this mission. Can you tell us about how your training started out before you knew about this flight?
7: Uh, the
5: general training flow is developed in such a way that after they announced those who had been selected, who were in the Cosmonaut Corps now, first of all, those people go through a general space flight training. And uh, this involves theoretical training, practical training, uh, learning about the vehicle, the Soyuz vehicle in our case, and learning all the station systems of the Russian segment modules.
7: This uh, stage of
5: training lasts for two years. Behind the theoretical and the practical practical aspects, we study. Uh, other elements. Uh, there's also training that has to do with the survival. Uh, if there is an off-nominal landing, for instance, and you have to survive, there's also parachute training, there's a medical training, biological training, physical training, there's also special training with uh, using the...
7: The parabolic flight airplane that allows
5: us to feel microgravity at least for a short period of time uh, while still being on Earth. So uh, we train in those parabolic flights. Uh, And after going through that general flight training,
7: then you really become a a cosmonaut. And at that that point,
5: you begin begin training training in a specialized group. Uh, Again, this is a more uh, thorough training. Uh, We uh, learn the vehicle uh, systems and and the station systems more thoroughly. we begin going through simulations and uh, training sessions, where we uh, begin working through manual modes, addressing abnormal situations. And so at this point,
7: Once I arrived here
5: to NASA, to the Johnson Space Center for my first session, this is when I was told from Russia, uh, and also on on this side, I was told that I will be training for a specific uh, flight, which is Crew 8. And I will be training for uh, Crew Dragon flight. So I learned about it here in the States, actually. That's
2: interesting. It sounds a lot like astronaut training for NASA astronauts. So I I guess because space really is the same for all of us. (laughs) Um, How did you feel when you found out you would be assigned to the Crew-8 flight?
7: Well,
5: any assignment, especially since it's my first flight, It was uh, positively received, Uh, it meant a lot to me because that's what I trained for, this is what I worked for, so it was received well. Uh, I was very uh, pleased to learn that I would have a chance to fly on, uh, on any vehicle and that there was clarity about the fact that I was in fact going to fly. So, I mean, what, what else can you say? I was excited, I was thrilled, everything uh, was already planned, and I knew that I was following a plan. When uh, we were about eight months out, even at that point, I realized, that, wow, just eight months left. Uh, because uh, historically at uh, NASA and in Russia and Soviet cosmonautics, people train for 10, 12 years and they wait that long for their first flight. And here, i I really lucked out i had this great opportunity uh to not have to wait that long so i was pleased but also i felt a lot of responsibility to train well and to perform uh, my job well and perform it successfully so it's a mixture of feelings pride and joy and I still keep thinking about those things. <laughs> So you mentioned this is your first
2: flight. Have your fellow cosmonauts given you any advice on on your first
5: flight?
7: Of well,
5: course. Of course, we're always in touch uh, with all of the cosmonaut core members and even now as I'm training here in America, uh, we speak very closely, Uh, I gain a lot of recommendations, a lot of insight from Mike Baird and experienced flight engineer. Also during training we learn a lot from him. And it's these things that uh, you wouldn't hear from anyone else, uh, anyone else who hasn't been in space. I'm really glad to uh, gain this insight and I'm thankful for his generous a willingness to share his experience with us,
7: because it's uh, these
5: things that uh, will help me to focus on the science program when I fly, so I'm preparing now to be able to focus on uh, the science when I go there.
7: I really appreciate his uh, insight,
5: because it helps me to, to prepare well.
2: I love that. That's great. So, can you tell me a little bit about your crewmates you'll be flying with on Dragon?
7: I'll start
5: with the commander, Matthew Dominic. Dominic. I'm sure you Uh, all know uh, him very well. He is a military uh, test pilot. I met him practically
7: during my first trip here. And this is how we met, I was going
5: to English lessons, it was just a planned lesson and when I stepped out of the office there's a some guy sitting there,
7: uh, a, young,
5: uh, a young person, and he jumps up energetically, thrusts out his hand, greets me, and I didn't really understand who he was, I didn't know who he was and why he was so thrilled to see me, uh, but uh, he's very open, positive, he's a great uh, commander, and uh, subsequently after. Uh, Being in training with him, we discovered that we have quite a lot in common,
7: a lot of our interests, uh, a
5: lot of our hobbies. So, now I want to say a few words about Mike Barrett. I'm certain everyone knows him, he's a seasoned cosmonaut, uh, rather astronaut, and he has flown twice. He's flown on the Soyuz vehicle, Uh, he's done EVAs in the Russian Orlan suit, then he had a shuttle flight.
7: He's a truly interesting person, a
5: kind, generous person.
7: The information
5: that he shared with us, as I already said, uh, when I was answering the previous question, it's really useful. And interesting, and maybe this is a uh, characteristic of Mike, he is able to present it very well with enthusiasm, so it always feels like it's very easy for him, but actually it's a, it's a little psychological trick that he does because it lifts morale for everyone, it lifts our understanding of how things are going to be, so we expect everything to be exceptionally well and happy and positive because that's the way he's told us about it. But on a more serious note, he is very dedicated to his profession. He is a highly highly professional flight surgeon and he he excels in
7: aviation medical profession.
5: And we've had some uh, instances when uh, we had to discuss, for example, like the parameters of the atmosphere, the pressure, it was like such and such uh, ATMs or such and such millimeters mercury. And so Mike is very specific and precise in these uh, conversations, and so that's where we see his previous training as a doctor. for uh, Jeanette Epps, we uh, work very tightly together because uh, we we're are both we mission specialists. We perform and many and of, it, uh, of the activities jointly. Uh,
7: Jeanette and Jeanette actually
5: surprised me by her hard work. Uh, there were. Uh, some uh, situations where I know that there's some real physical uh, demands, for example, when you switch from an air mask to the suit air, or at this point you have to pull out other suits, you have to prepare hardware, you have to prepare the crew members, you have to put away the cases, put away the caps. Uh, If you're looking from the side, you would think, oh, it's it's not that complicated, but uh, if you know, then you know how challenging it is, if you've done it all before in flight,
7: for example, when you have limited air supply, there
5: are some nuances that uh, make it really hard for you to do it physically, and I know that it's really hard to do it. And uh, Jeanette, she does it uh, so well, I I was really surprised by how hardy and strong she is. But
7: uh, Uh, she
5: she is uh, an excellent team member, just just as the the other two. I'm so happy (laughs) to be with these three people, and I just really can't wait to fly with them.
2: I've only had the opportunity to meet all of the crew members very briefly, but I think you described everyone really well. You seem to have a really great team on Crew 8, and I'm excited to see everyone fly. So here at home on Earth, you have three children. How are you preparing them, and are they excited for your first spaceflight?
7: Yes, I have three sons. The
5: oldest is 11. Then I have a 10-year-old and a 6-year-old. And
7: this uh, stage of
5: training that I went through before coming here, they really experienced that, uh, because I had to be absent often, sometimes a month at a time, sometimes a month and a half, being away, and I had to be at work, I leave early, I come home late, and often it's happened that when I get home, there was no chance to spend time with the kids because you have to do yet another exam, and so you get from home from work and you have to study for the next test. And over the years, I, I guess they've trained themselves uh, to understand what this means, and so they understand, and they say, well, Uh, Dad, this is your job and there's no way around it, this is what you have to do. So I think they will understand uh, what is going on, they will support me as they are already supporting me. I am very uh, grateful that this is how they are understanding it, because it is really important to maintain a supportive atmosphere within the family. It's really important for me. It helps my motivation. And, and it helps me to reach the goals I that I've set before good. me and that are being set before me. So I think everything will be good.
2: I know they must be really proud of you.
5: That's exciting. Um, so
2: do you have any goals for this mission, your personal goals, once you get to the International Space Station?
7: Я пойму, добился ли я успеха? I think
5: I will know that I've been successful in flight only after uh, returning, after the splashdown.
7: Once we splash down, once
5: we see all the representatives of all the organizations that participated in planning the flight
7: and preparing all the work and when they
5: assess how well uh, we did the job that they planned for us, only then we will be able to know whether we succeeded. And I will know whether I can be proud of what I did or not. I want that affirmation that what I did was what they intended for me. That will happen only after I return.
2: Absolutely. We have just a little bit of time left, but I thought I would ask you some questions about your crew members. Uh, hopefully, they're fun questions. Who do you think will exercise the most?
7: <laughs> <think> it's
2: <laughs> it's going to be me. <laughs> <laughs> do you have an exercise machine that you look forward to using more than anything else?
7: Two. конечно.
5: Red. Absolutely.
2: Yeah, yeah, that's a that's a really impressive machine for sure. Who is most likely to drink the most coffee?
7: А знаете, наверное, опять
5: uh, you know, probably me again.
7: <laughs> uh, well, it's
5: actually just... This is the way it happened in our crew. Where we often meet up, and I know the people have different preferences. Mike prefers bikes. He uh, prefers cycling. Matthew has his own preferences, Jeanette as well. But if you really look at us, I really really respect your, your a red. red. it's uh, really something that I spent a lot of time doing prior to to coming to the Cosmonaut course. So when I met A-Red here, here, I really, uh, we connected right away, and uh, so uh, it's great, it actually inspires me to do physical exercises on board. And regarding coffee, everyone knows that I love cappuccino, I can do three, four cappuccinos a day, large size cappuccinos, easily. But I, I think really everyone loves coffee.
2: You're right. Everyone loves coffee. Me too. Uh, so, who do you think will spend the most time in the cupola?
7: Hmm, это интересный вопрос.
5: That's an interesting question.
7: Я думаю, что больше будет времени проводить в куполе тот, I think <laughs>
5: the person will spend the most time who has the most free time to spend. That's true. I would definitely spend all of my free time there
7: конечно те возможности которые открывает по именно обзору. because
5: whenever there is an opportunity to be in this module, uh, everyone will jump on those opportunities because it is an exceptional module and one of the goals that I've set for myself is to Look at our beautiful Earth from and above. And uh, there is this opportunity uh, through uh, the cupola, uh, so uh, whenever there is free time, I imagine everyone will be edging towards the cupola. Uh, so I think that given the amount of work that we will have, uh, will be very infrequent, because there is a whole slew of activities and we won't have too much free time.
2: Who do you think will take the most pictures and videos?
7: Mm-hmm. I, think
5: or I think
2: Jeanette
5: or Matthew, one of those two.
2: How about who do you think will be on social media the most?
7: I think Jeanette,
2: Jeanette probably, uh, for some reason. <laughs> okay, last one. Who do you think will make a gourmet meal using the food on the space station? Mike. Mike Barrett, or maybe Matthew. I think you're right. Mike was telling us all about how good of a cook he is. So I'm a little jealous of all of the special meals
5: you'll get to try Mm. up there with Mike and Matt.
7: He's
5: great at improvising, and he always takes into account all the preferences of everyone invited. So I think he also will come up with something, especially given his previous flight experience, he knows how to put things together, how to do it effectively and easily. And I think Matt, too, will cook up some surprises for us. Oh, in those uh, times that he invited us, he treated us uh, to a lot of different tasty dishes, so I think they will be competing for that role. Maybe by the end of the flight uh, I may uh, try to put something together as well, especially if there are uh, some new food items that come up on the uh, Progress, maybe I will surprise the crew. Well, we'll be looking forward to seeing what everybody cooks. I hope that you all send down lots of
2: pictures and videos. Maybe you could do some food reviews. We'll keep an eye out for it.
7: (laughs) Обязательно.
2: Absolutely. So, when we wish someone to have a good mission in English, we say, Godspeed. It's kind of, you know, good luck, have a safe flight. Do you have a saying
5: in Russian?
7: Well...
5: We wish you all the best, but basically, basically Godspeed. And actually, we do say with God, or God be with you, Godspeed. I like that, very good to know. Well, Godspeed, and how do you say it?
7: As As
2: Bogam. Thank you so much for being here today. We really appreciate it.
7: Uh, Uh, Thank
5: you. Also, it was a pleasure to uh, meet you and to answer uh, the questions.
7: It was I a, a good time. Invite me, I'll be glad to <laughs> come again.
5: Thank you.
2: Stop Roger,
0: zero J, and I feel... The clear to actually a huge honor to break like... Not because they
3: are easy, but because they are hard.
2: Thanks for sticking around. I hope you learned something today. Check NASA's website for the latest schedule and to find out how you can watch the launch of these four crew members live on NASA TV and different streaming services. You can also find us on nasa.gov podcasts and on the Johnson Space Center social media pages, including Facebook, X and Instagram. Use Ask NASA on your favorite platform to submit your idea and make sure to mention it's for Houston. We have a podcast. These interviews were recorded in the summer and fall of 2023. Thanks to Will Flato, Dane Turner, Gary Jordan, Abby Graff, Jaden Jennings and Dominique Crespo for their work on the podcast. Thanks for Chelsea Bayarte and her interview with Jeanette and as well as the astronaut schedulers for helping to secure the chats. And of course, thanks to Crew Eight, Matthew Dominic, Mike Barrett, Jeanette Epps, and Alexander Gribjankin for generously giving their time to chat with us. Give us a rating and feedback on whatever platform you're listening to us on and tell us what you think of our podcast. We'll be back next week.